Hey there, I'm T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly with entrepreneurs and experts who are working on the front lines of the industry to normalize cannabis through responsible business, education, and activism. As your host, I will do my best to try to bring you actionable information to help you plan, grow, and manage your cannabis business. Uh, today, I'm joined by Serge Chistoff. He is the financial advisor for the Honest Marijuana Company. How are you doing this morning, Serge? I'm doing fantastic, and thank you for having me. Hey, man, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to talk to you guys uh, about uh, some of your, you know, green uh, products that you're uh, rolling out. But before we get into that, uh, I like to start with uh, the background of the guest. So, so what's your background? What did you do before getting involved in the industry? Um, I would say that uh, stockbroker by trade, financial advisor and consultant uh, since early '90s on Wall Street. Um, I built and um, expanded an import company uh, in the liquor and spirits business, wine and spirits business from 2006 until now. And uh, somewhere at the end of the 2008-2009, I started to look into um, cannabis field as something that is exciting, uh, brings a lot of very interesting and passionate people and obviously something that is dear to me as a substance for many, many years. And uh, that's how I end up in the cannabis space. And there, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of discussion always about, uh, you know, the, the, how, how cannabis is going to impact the alcohol industry. As somebody who worked uh, in, you know, in, uh, in the alcohol industry, what are, what are your thoughts on, uh, cannabis, the relationship between the two businesses? The relationship between the two businesses, um, if there is impact of uh, cannabis consumption on the liquor consumption, it's not like uh, cannabis, uh, was not a part of our culture for the last 50, 60 years. So I do not believe that we are looking at the sizable quantitative uh, number that will be uh, alcohol, will be a wine, will be reduced by when uh, we're going to start buying pot in the established and in the establishment specifically directed to sell pot versus buying it from the local guy based on the availability and uh, his uh, presence in the area. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so to me, to me, I believe that, that uh, one have lived with the other for quite some time, and um, we already have seen their symbiosis. I mean, we've seen what uh, how much wine we sell, which I believe is approximately ninety billion dollars or ninety nine billion dollars a year. That was the number from last year, and by some of the conservative estimates, legalized cannabis can be approximately the size of the developed wine market. So by some guesstimates, we're looking at the 80 to $100 billion a year industry. So quite frankly, liquor industry will not get affected as much as the illegal black market trade. Um, the only thing that is affected by the rapid legalization and the controlled legalization of cannabis is um, the cartel's bottom line and uh, our ability and um, our access to the good quality verified products. That is what's affected. In no means, I do believe that increased liberalization of cannabis use in the U.S. will affect negatively a wine or alcohol industry. 
Well, so so mo- moving on a little bit, uh, I want to talk to you about the Honest Marijuana Company's vision. Uh, the, the, you, you guys refer to it as the road to pure. Um, why is this important for you guys to 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 have this road to pure? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Thank you for actually noticing that. Uh, and uh, approach to road to pure is coming from realization and the more we're learning about the plant, the more fascinating we are by the ignorance of the masses and us uh, at the same token. You know, when you smoke or consume cannabis for the last uh, 25, 30 years as I did, in the probably four different continents, um, now knowing more about subjects, I wonder what else was I consuming while trying to engage in some cannabis consumption. I mean, when the pesticide testings and when the different grow techniques and some of the shortcuts became known to the industry of what the manufacturers are doing in order to maximize their bottom line, uh, quite frankly, it is a scary thought to know that for the last 30 years, the only basis for you to acquire cannabis was their local availability, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. So today, having an understanding what actually goes into the production, what are the different variations of the chemicals and uh, organic pesticides and non-organic pesticides, organic nutrients and non-organic nutrients, different types of soils, uh, different water contaminants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You just start really wondering what did we have to endure to get so far? And this is just the basis look at it. I mean, the, let's take a look at the delivery system. I mean, today, majority of the cannabis being smoked. And no matter how you slice it, and no matter what the public tells you about it's safer to smoke cannabis than smoke cigarettes, it is sounds good, but in reality, it is a total bullshit. Because smoking is a dangerous form of delivery, regardless of what is that that you're smoking, because combustion, what causes the consurgence actually enter your body? Nowhere in the manual for the human operation, we have read somewhere that you should set up a huge bonfire and walk into it and start inhaling the smoke. This is just not good for you. So road to pure means us learning about the plant and finding the most organic way for the plant to manufacture its medicine. And then we're taking it a step further and we're working on a new and improved way to preserve it and actually deliver it to the consumer. Because at the end of the day, this is a medicine we're after. It's not the uh, smoking sensation. It's not really the um, traditional use of it for some of the shamans or for us to dance around the campfire. I mean, the majority of the people look at cannabis as a medicine. And this is to relieve your stress. For whatever other reason you use it, you're using you're using it to mitigate certain condition in your body because of that is a medicine. Was was that important to you as an investor to find a company that was that was doing this sort of the right way? Of course it is. I mean, um, as you as you watch the development of the market in a developed market like Colorado, I mean, it all starts with the hype. Oh, we can smoke free. We can smoke legally now, right? So people totally disregarding to the fact what is that that they're smoking, but rather concentrating on the fact that now it's legal. 
a little bit time passes and people start looking at the differences between the different smoke. They become more educated. And slowly but surely, as the process continues, customer becomes aware of all of these different variations in the production, preservation, and delivery mechanism. So I wanted to be ready when the customer will become aware. And because of that, of course, the company was built with the three, four, five steps ahead of the curve, ahead of the crowd in terms of manufacturing, in terms of preservation and packaging, and in terms of the delivery, simply because we know where this market is heading, assuming uh, current administration will keep it the way it promised us in the hands of the state, and the movement will continue. So we know where it's going, so why not be there when the market will be ready? That was the logic behind it, and so far it's been working quite well. People really do appreciate what is that we do for a living and appreciate those extra steps we take in order to make our product the best product it can be. Well, and you talked about the, the preservation and the packaging, and I do want to talk to you about the, the reusable tins. Um, How did you guys come up with the idea for the tins, and what has the customer feedback been like? And, and, and how did you come up with the nitrogen packaging solution? I mean, it's, it's really... Oh, uh, uh, Tim, you're flattering me, man. I mean, I wish I would be that bright. <laughs> Quite frankly, I mean, if you stop looking at the cannabis as, uh, as something unique and special and start looking at it as a, for what it is, it is a green perishable, something that grows on the farms and can be cultivated organically or otherwise, uh, answers just come to you. We reached out to the neighboring industries, uh, just like uh, uh, farming and the um, supermarkets. We reached out to people in the tobacco industry, the guys that seem to be participating in very similar industries, so manufacturing their raw material, processing it, packaging it, keeping it fresh, keeping it diversified. And we started to get the ideas of what are the best practices in the different industries are. So nitrogen uh, flashing, obviously, is the already probably 30, 50-year-old uh, strategy that allows to keep perishable product in an inert atmosphere, simply because oxygen happened to be one of the biggest deterrents of uh, THC. If you leave the product, which is, um, you know, cannabis has a very unique combination of cannabinoids and terpenoids present, which uh, public called entourage effect, and that word becomes better understood by a lot of people. What it means is that there is a very unique and fragile complex combination of the different chemicals in a very certain proportions which make effect of each particular strain so unique and different, medicinal or otherwise, for people of different um, uh, walks of life. So if I were to allow, um, I'll give you an example, a sour diesel strain, perfectly cured, perfectly genetic, a genetic specimen of the sour D being cured to the best of our knowledge and ability. And now here it is. What I'm saying is two or three hours later, and I'm not even talking about two or three days later, the same exact herb will chemically be a completely different species. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely do. Okay, so the plant will lose some of those smaller, more um, flying particles, like those uh, sequin nano uh, and the... Uh, single terpenes that will simply uh, populate the air. So if you smell it, they're already gone from the plant. And slowly but surely, with the help of oxygen and light, the plant's starting to deteriorate if not preserved correctly. 
And what we have found is that when we make this plant ready for us to consume, most of us at the grow, we believe that we know how the proper consistency of the right bud needs to be, or at least we believe that we know. And um, right as we're ready to smoke it ourselves, this is very important, we're making sure that this product is preserved, canned, and flushed with liquid nitrogen before closing so we can preserve this feeling and experience to the customers and make it a repeatable experience. So they can come back if they like what we do and buy something that is very, very, very similar to what is that, that they smoked before because it is preserved and the perishability slowed down. Now, in Colorado, as you know, there is a very uh, big handicap as far as the preservation. The air is extremely dry, especially in the high altitudes where we are. So leaving the product with a very limited access to oxygen, by definition, is very good. Yet it dries out the plant, and whatever the oxygen is still in the air, even here in the altitudes of, uh, of the mountains, is destroying the THC content. Light and changes of the temperature obviously helps in it. And if we're spending so much time and money to let this plant to be the best plant it possibly can, not preserving it, to keep it at what we actually established or accomplished through our growing process, it's almost criminal. It almost doesn't make sense to grow it that well if we're not going to, if we're just simply going to drop it in the bag and let you sort it out in some dispensary, God knows where, at what some time in the future, uh, under the supervision of the bud tender that probably wouldn't know the difference from uh, our herb from somebody else's at that time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it wasn't just, it's not just a freshness thing, but it's, it's also a way to uh, sort of prevent you guys from, um, you know, losing money, essentially. It is, uh, it is and it isn't. I mean, my main, as a smoker, I'm a smoker of cigarettes for many, many years. I mean, I'm a recovering smoker of cigarettes for many, many years, right? And I got to tell you, when you open a pack of cigarettes, it's a product of the very established industry. You expect that cigarette, especially the first or the second, to be exactly as the previous pack or the previous experience in your life. You want it to be consistent in how it was rolled. You want it to be consistent in how dry or moist the tobacco is. You just want, you expect the same consistency. Same thing with the bottle of wine you purchased. When you went in and you liked a particular brand of uh, Cabernet, and you came back a week later and you bought the bottle, you expect a very similar results. In cannabis industry, it's almost uh, impossible to achieve it when it comes down to flour because flour is not preserved as it needs to be on the shelves or in the dispensary vaults. I mean, cans where the cannabis are held being opened and closed on a consistent basis, and by the time the flour comes from the farm to the store, being sorted from one can to another, to the third and to the fourth. Oxygen, light, and changes in the temperature, reducing the chemical composition of this plant to almost something new. I'm not saying it's not potent or will not get you high, but it's definitely not the medicine that we spend time creating because it's missing things and the potency has been deteriorating. So not to preserve it is, I, I just don't even understand how uh, we were allowed to go that long without preservation. People trying to, screaming about organic and how federal 
law does not allow us to grow organic pot. You can grow organic pot. You just cannot call it organic pot. But part of the organic consideration is also perishability. You need to know that that organic uh, parsley or dill that your farm manufactured can only stay good for the humans and being fully organic only certain period of time, unless, unless you truly don't care. And any manufacturer today who cares about the fruits of their labor, they're spending a lot of time and money preserving what is that that they grow and manufacture. So for us, it was not even a consideration, should we do it or not? It was the only way to do it. We were looking in a different ways to put the flour in a different compartments because nitrogen flushing is not a really complex process. You can do it in the plastic bags. You can do it in a lot of different um, packaging solutions. But uh, looking up and down the market, we found a company that is allowing us to do that in a recyclable tins. And obviously their approach being fully recyclable and uh, even labels are done in such a matter where it can be recycled um, really was appealing to us. And the size and the um, transportability and preservation of it in the different locations of our retail partners also is a huge help. Um, and that's how we have discovered and to packaging the guys that are actually supplying us with the cans right now. And so you guys have also used this uh, nitrogen packaging process for uh, your honest blunt, which is tobacco-free blunt. Um, you know. Yep. Um, what 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 was that design process like, and and what's the cost of those compared to other available pre rolls? Um, that's a very good question. The design part, the design was very similar in all of our um, uh, product development. We looked at what are the best uh, what are the best strategies that other companies utilizing or other industries utilizing in uh, preservation and manufacturing of our uh, of similar perishable products. And obviously, tobacco industry was very close. Uh, in, um, you know, in at least a general approach to what is it that they're trying to do, which is um, package and deliver uh, pretty fresh and reliable and consistency smokable material to their customers. So we reached out to a couple of the tobacco manufacturers and over almost a year of research, we were able to adapt some of the machinery that we were able to purchase to work with our uh, let's call it tobacco with our cannabis with our product, which is very different from tobacco and the many uh, chemical and physical characteristics. So adaptation of the equipment was the first big challenge that we completed. And after that, again, the question came out. So, okay, now we're able to ha control the quality of the material that goes into the pre-roll. We're able to control the time when these pre-rolls are manufactured. All we need to know now is how are we preserving this pre-roll to make it uh, last and to have customer actually being able to experience it the same way we created it. Not in the two or three weeks when the blunt is dried out and probably smokes very harsh. No, we want the same repeatable experience, same concept, same approach as it is to the herb uh, by itself. And um, the result was uh, a blister packaging technology that allows us before closing the individual pack of the um, pre-rolls in the cavity that flushed with nitrogen. 
that actually turns uh, the product in a better preserved, more uniform smoke, even in a couple of months after the product was manufactured. From the standpoint of the cost, um, you know, it is a competitive market, obviously, but because uh, we utilize more of the machinery and uh, more advanced uh, packaging technologies, we believe that we can uh, create this product in a very attractive uh, market uh, price, which will make us extremely competitive in the marketplace. And the customer's feedback was uh, outstanding. I mean, people really love it. I mean, they love the fact that a lot of people like blunts and they like that slow burning experience where me and you are enjoying that smoke. And uh, by the half of it, we are already deep in our discussion and you're looking at the blunt and it's still there. And uh, I mean, that's really the small, slow, even uh, smoke. What was always a big um reason for people to engaging in a blunt smoking. That's at least my belief and what I know from my friends. And um, again, I mean, tobacco having the reputation as it is and nicotine being um, having a reputation as it is and slowly but surely more and more people are slowing down or walking away from nicotine, rightly so, uh, was a challenge for us since we could not use tobacco leaf uh, to manufacture our blunts. We had to go and search up and down to find uh, an alternative. So with the uh, with the uh, the honest blunt, where are you guys getting your hemp from? And have, did you have any trouble procuring that at all? Actually, uh, we did went uh, we did go through organic hemp. At the end of the day, we found it uh, in a couple of the European countries. Uh, specifically sourced it from one location, which is uh, uh, which is the most advantageous in terms of the minimum order quantities that we need to purchase because it also needs to be processed uh, to work with our equipment. So it was a challenge, but nevertheless, we were able to um, source a very reliable organic hemp material, which was converted into the wrapping material for our blunts that work on our machinery. I want to move on to talk to you a bit about Colorado's policy and some of the changes that have been made there. But before we do that, we got to take a short break. I'm T.G. Brandfault with Serge Chistoff. This is the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. This episode of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast is made possible by Name.com, a global provider of domain name, web hosting, and email services. Every successful cannabis business needs an online presence, and every successful online presence begins with a domain. From your website to your email address, a good domain is easy for your customers to remember, it looks nice on a business card or billboard, and it reflects the true identity of the project it represents. It's important to reserve your domain early on when you are starting your business, as you may find that the .com address for your preferred brand or concept has already been taken. If somebody has already purchased the ideal .com for your business, they might be willing to sell it, but if they aren't, you may have to get creative with one of the new alternate domain extensions, such as .co, .club, .shop, or even .farm. Reserve your domain name today at name.com slash gondrepreneur. 
If you are a domain name investor or venture capital firm interested in acquiring or advertising premium cannabis domains, go to the Gondrepreneur domain market to browse a wide variety of names, including strains.com, cannabismedia.com, mj.com, and countless others. Discover branding opportunities for your next startup and learn about listing your premium domain names for sale at gondrepreneur.com slash domains, sponsored by name.com. Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfault with Serge Chistoff, financial advisor for Honest Marijuana Company. Uh, so as I said before the break, I want to talk to you about Colorado's policies. Uh, most notably, the state Senate has recently passed a social use measure, and Denver is considering its own. Uh, why do you think that this is uh, important as the market's maturing out there in Colorado? Um, it's a great question. Um, I believe that the overall Colorado and the Colorado's um, legislature towards marijuana uh, being looked upon uh, from a lot of different places in the United States as a roadmap or something as um, a social experiment that worked and generating quite a bit of revenue and um, generating quite a bit of data uh, for other states and for other municipal um entities to look at the potential of legalizing, uh, controlling, or enforcing anything pertaining to use of the medical or recreational marijuana. So obviously any innovation or any new ways of using, consuming, or generate taxable revenues uh, by the MED in Colorado will be very closely monitored by all the future and current participants of the market. I do believe that uh, market in Colorado is the most matured market where you kind of have a natural business forces like a competition, challenges of the distribution, uh, reliability of the uh, delivery services, testing and all of it been um, present for quite some time and uh, proper strategy and proper techniques were developed using that experience. So obviously there is a new uh, direction in the utilization of uh, usage of cannabis on uh, private or off-private uh, uh, properties that I am sure the rest of the market is very closely monitoring and making sure that first tests will be available in Colorado. And based on that, I'm sure the overall policy of consumption of cannabis will be um, we will be definitely reflecting the uh, new experiments that are taking place in Colorado right now. And as somebody who has some experience also in the alcohol industry, are, are, you, a, are you a proponent of uh, them keeping alcohol and cannabis separate uh, in these you know, cannabis clubs, essentially? I believe that uh, in the beginning, uh, they will obviously try to isolate uh, individual recreational substances simply to get some clear data, uh, something that uh, will not be uh, as clear if we're just going to allow saloons to uh, sell pre-rolled uh, joints. So um, 
I don't believe that my opinion on the subject as a personal, as a user, is as important as the whole idea that the government of Colorado realizes the social aspect of uh, consumption of cannabis and realizing the fact that from that standpoint, cannabis is no different than um, a tea room or uh, a cocktail lounge or a movie theater. It is something where people gather in order to consume their preferred adult beverage or adult uh, substance, uh, which is fully legal, fully controlled. But I believe that the state would want to get some clean, uh, clean data. And I believe in the beginning, they might have a tendency of keeping uh, cannabis and alcohol separate, just not to bring um, an unclarity to the experiment. And going forward, as these experiments uh, will mature and we will have enough sufficient data and we'll be able to track social behaviors of the um, public based on this new uh, discovering discovered liberties, I think government will have a much better picture on what can and should not be used together or separately. I hope that makes uh, any sense to you. So the state recently passed bills that they better align the medical and recreational sector, and that's in spite of the Legislative Research Committee finding that what they were doing would actually cost the state some revenues. So um, with, with these new rules to better align the two sectors, they include remediation and uh, some other things. Uh, what, what were your thoughts as an operator on, on these new rules? Yeah, I mean, they, the, uh, the regulation of the uh, two separate uh, by tax entities, recreational and medical, because that's really the true difference. I mean, the taxation is different on the product, and because of that, they're trying to keep it separated. So that, I'm sure, is an extra layer of costs, that MED would probably be looking to somehow um, consolidate or somehow protect from extra spending. Um, from the manufacturer standpoint, I can only tell you I don't have enough uh, information or enough experience with the medical uh, part of the manufacturing because we're the recreational wholesale growers and, and producers. Um, Consistent changing in regulations and consistent changing in packaging requirements is uh, quite difficult to deal with because uh, we just completed creating a packaging um, based on the previous um, latest regulations uh, just to find that the regulation is going to be changed by the beginning of 2017. Uh, we had enough time to respond to it, but if that were to continue, I'm sure small to medium-sized manufacturers are not really going to be welcoming that too much because, again, cost money uh, creates um, uh, un unnecessary work and definitely increases the pressure on the cash flow, etc. So from the business standpoint, we would like for regulations to kind of find um, that common ground with the reality of the MEDS operations and uh, for them to get established and for us to be left alone for at least a couple of years without changing our packaging. So, so the changes for, for uh, an operator, are they, are they welcome for you or are, are the, is the jury still sort of out at this point? I believe that the jury is still sort of out, but uh, so far any new um, any new regulations that came in the industry were 
accept it as, as, as such and new regulations, but over time, so far have proven to be a valuable and uh, a smart regulation scheme that only promotes the business. And the numbers are here to show it. I mean, the sales are continuously growing. The tax revenues are continuously growing. From the, that standpoint, the social experiment of Colorado is a winner. And a lot of people outside of the uh, outside of Colorado, all across the country, looking at the state and uh, trying to learn what's the best way to do it. And I want to talk to you a bit more about uh, Colorado and their social experiment, kind of some of the business trends uh, that that uh, a lot of people have noticed. But before we do that, we got to take our last break. This is TG Brandfall, the Entrepreneur.com podcast. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of canna bias, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis-friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfault with Serge Chistoff, the financial advisor for the Honest Marijuana Company. Uh, so, s- something specific to uh, Colorado that that I actually uh, spoke to a lot of people on is this idea of distressed assets. Um, you know, businesses that are struggling, businesses that enter the space that can't maintain, and you know, long longstanding businesses who are being forced out of the space. Um, as a financier, what, you, what is your take on uh, those distressed asset type deals? You know, who should get into them? Is it something for a longtime producer to get into? Is it something for a new market entrant? Uh, it's a very good question you're asking. Um, I don't think there is as simple of an answer I can give you, but I would definitely strongly recommend for any investor in any market, especially in a distressed asset market, to look at the reasons. Um, to be present in the marketplace, to do their due diligence, obviously, to have a solid business plan, which is not solely based on the best case scenario, 
Um, but also run your numbers, assuming that the um, that the price of the raw material and the price of the uh, flour and concentrates continue to go down simply under the pressure of overproduction. And uh, the rents and uh, some of other um, opportunities might not be as uh, profitable right now as they were maybe a couple of years ago, or they might be a year or so from now. So keeping that in mind, I don't believe that you should look at the distressed assets in Colorado right now any different than purchasing distressed assets in any other spectrum of the business, real estate, or any other part of the country. Um, Having said that, I do believe that the market is going through the consolidation um, stages where larger retail entities acquiring uh, new and existing licenses, manufacturers that are not able to brand or properly position their product um, as a segment leader or at least a participant are kind of facing in uh, trying to brand a market uh, a commodity with a continuously dropping price. Very challenging. But nevertheless, I am sure that there are business opportunities for an investor to buy in some of the assets that are distressed, as you mentioned, at uh, 40, 50, uh, 30 cents on a dollar of what the construction or remanufacturing costs of that will be. And that creates a definite opportunity for the smart operator. So, you know, as an investor, you're you're in a very interesting uh, position, as as you know, you're not only involved in in operations, um, you know, but you, you know, I'm sure that you're constantly looking for you know other other ways to make your money work for you. Uh, on a on a federal policy level, you know, in this this Trump climate, this Republican climate, this Jeff Sessions climate, as an investor, uh, what? What are you feeling in, in this uncertain climate? And what's your advice you know, for entrepreneurs uh, that might be looking to get into the industry now in this era of Trump? Uh, I believe that the era of Trump is actually a good era for cannabis. Assuming that Trump will keep the promise that he gave uh, prior to election, which is to keep the business of cannabis in the state hands. From that standpoint, I welcome the policy based on that concept. If Trump is all about job creation, profitability, America first, this is a perfect example of what is that our industry is doing. We're creating jobs, we're creating income that is not taking from um, any other industry rather than taken out of the pocket of the cartels and the non-tax-paying entities on the, of the black market. So from that standpoint, it's a win-win. And I know that Trump likes that philosophy. Now, Jeff Session, Sessions was uh, uh, a conflict selection, something based on a lot of um, uh, past emotions about him being uh, noticed as a racist, him being noticed as an... Uh, uh, opponent of the cannabis legalization. I mean, I'm sure Jeff uh, doesn't like certain foods and, uh, you know, we're not going to stop eating them. So as far as Jeff's ability and his bite versus his bark, my money is on the fact that Jeannie is not going back in a lamp. Uh, the cat is out of the bag. I mean, whichever way you want to phrase it, I mean, we are not going back to cannabis being illegal. If the District of Columbia decriminalized that product right outside of the White House and um, uh, 
states like Arkansas, uh, which is south, if you drop everything out of it, it is as, as south, maybe not as Alabama south, but definitely south, looking into the, leg, uh, into the medical and into the, some of the growth. I mean, what is Jeff going to do, truly? What is he going to do? A couple of the PR stunts, a little bit of the uh, screaming and yelling, uh, raise a couple of the news cycles uh, on the potential crackdown. And at the end of the day, he's just going to continue to do what he's been told. And what he's been told is to go deal with the real crime, deal with the causes for the massive epidemics of uh, uh, real drug consumption and uh, IPO it uh, over uh, overdoses and deal with the issues that he is better equipped to deal with instead of running around the states trying to promote the old way of living and trying to replay to us um, uh, reefer madness movies. I mean, it, this is all look very Mickey Mouse to me. I don't believe that Jeff has the bite to slow down the movement, and I do believe that the overall Trump administration policy is aimed on increasing the involvement of this industry across the marketplace and uh, generate more revenue, create more jobs. So that's my outlook. I wouldn't stop uh, or wouldn't uh, slow down investing in the industry just because a Southerner is attorney general right now. So wh overall, what is your advice to uh, entrepreneurs looking to enter this space right now? I mean, look at it as a, as a regular business. Look at it as the business advantages. Uh, check your business plan. Make sure that you're going into the right price structures, that you're not basing it on the existing or the best case scenarios. Do your numbers correctly. Uh, find the right opportunities, continue searching. I mean, the excitement of the fact that this is a cannabis and it's a semi-prohibited business will wear off very shortly. And we're going to get back to the fact that this is nothing but farming. It is nothing but manufacturing. It is nothing but extracting. It is nothing but packaging. It is nothing but marketing. It is nothing but advertising. And it's nothing but competing for the shelf space, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the... Um, the excitement of the word cannabis in, and the business will wear off very shortly. I think we are, it's already starting to wear off, and now it's just a business. And my advice going into any business is calculator, calculator, and calculator. Count many, many times before you will invest your money. Make sure that you have a proper exit strategy, that you're not committing your entire capital just because of the excitement. Keep emotions away from it. And uh, by all means, invest. That would be my suggestion. And finally, can you tell us where we can find uh, more about the Honest Marijuana Company? I believe that the great source would be to start uh, your Google research. If you look for terms like organic marijuana, I'm sure our website would come up first. And uh, we, we have a lot of information on our blog site. We're continuously updating database of our knowledge. We'd like to share everything that we learned about the plant with our readers and our consumers and our customers. So our website probably be a great uh, resource, honestmarijuana.com. Um, if you have any questions, always write us a letter at info at honestmarijuana.com. We will be more than happy to answer some of the questions. And um, again, keep researching, keep learning about the plant. Well, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to uh, participate in the podcast. Uh, Spasiba, if you will. Okay, thank you.
Uh, you can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section at Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis drops updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Sebastiano. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfall. Thank you.